1: Welcome to the First Pitch Podcast, brought to you by PitcherList.com, your daily morning podcast, updating you on everything you need to know to win your fantasy baseball league. Here's your host, Chad
2: Young. Hello and welcome to the First Pitch Podcast. As men man said, my name's Chad Young, diving into a bunch of news on this Friday morning. On Thursday, Hunter Dozier activated off the paternity list and rejoined the Royals for the game with the Rays. Dozier's quietly had a solid season, just a 101 WRC+, which means his fantasy value is limited, but he is useful depth. Thursday, though, 0 for 4. The Royals also announced they're moving Brad Keller to the bullpen. Hasn't really been effective as a starter, and to be honest, I don't see his stuff playing up in the pen. And on Thursday, it didn't. He came on in relief with the Royals down 1-0 to Tampa and imploded, giving up five runs and six hits in just two-thirds of an inning. I suspect he will not be seeing high leverage anytime soon. He spoiled the start of Max Castillo, who was called up after coming over in the Whit Merrifield deal. He went five, giving up a run and three hits and a walk, but had just three strikeouts. Don't really know what to make of him yet. Happy to wait and see. The Phillies claimed Bradley Zimmer off waivers, putting Brandon Marsh on the 10-day IL and moving Bryce Harper to the 60-day to make room. Marsh has an ankle sprain, which necessitated the IL stint, but shouldn't be season-ending or anything like that. The Harper move is basically procedural to clear a 40-man spot. He'll be eligible to come off the 60-day in about a week. Zimmer may be a short-term filly once Harper's ready to come back, Marsh is ready to come back. They'll need a couple spots in the active roster and a 40-man spot, and Zimmer could easily be the odd man out again. The White Sox signed Elvis Andrews after he was released by Oakland. Andrews should be ready to join the Sox in Cleveland this weekend, and while he's not been good this year, go check out his career splits against the Guardians and in progressive field. For whatever reason, he's basically won Soto in that stadium. The Mets' Tomas Nito made the trip all the way to Atlanta with the team before finding out he needed to go on the COVID IL. I haven't seen for sure that he tested positive, but he did drive back to New York because he was not allowed to board a plane. That means there was a lot of exposure for other Mets. Hopefully you don't hear any more news anytime soon. The team is hopeful he'll be back soon. Ramon Laureano had an MRI that showed an oblique strain. It's grade one, which is the mildest form. Manager Mark Katze said his timeline will be based on pain tolerance. The Twins got better MRI news as Tyler Molly's MRI came back clean. He was pulled early Wednesday after his velocity was down about 4 miles per hour, but with a clean MRI, he's considered day-to-day with what the team is calling general soreness and fatigue. Definitely a situation to monitor, as that kind of velocity drop can be the signal of a real issue, even though they haven't found anything yet. Similar news for Taiwan Walker, whose MRI showed no structural damage. He's expected to miss a start, but hopefully no more than that. Some pitcher activations on Thursday... The Rays recalled Luis Patino from the minors, designating Jimmy Yacobonis to make room. Patino has yet to translate his pedigree into any meaningful success in MLB, and honestly, even his AAA numbers don't inspire me much at this point. He started Thursday against KC and pitched as well as we've seen him pitch, going 5 and 2 thirds shutout, along 4 hits and 2 walks with 4 strikeouts. He had a solid 16 whiffs, but the velocity isn't back, and that gives me some pause. If he gets another start, it would be against the Angels, but likely with Mike Trout back a little bit of an iffy bet with him, but we'll see how he handles it. The Braves activated Max Freed off the seven-day concussion IL to start against the Mets. Freed last pitched 12 days ago, also against the Mets, so he basically missed a start with his brief IL stint. Thursday, he looked like the ace we've come to expect. Seven innings against the Mets, giving up two runs on four hits without a walk, struck out six, even got a W and a quality start to boot. A pitcher activation coming up today as well. Matt Strom should be back in the Red Sox pen. They could use him, but I don't think he'll be in line for saves. Matt Barnes, Garrett Whitlock, John triver all better bets for now. Unfortunately, one activation the Red Sox won't be seeing soon is James Paxton. Paxton was starting a rehab assignment Thursday, but faced just two hitters before being pulled and diagnosed with a lat strain. Every once in a while, a tweet goes around asking if you could give a full career of health to one player who it would be, and James Paxton deserves your consideration for that. Just a great pitcher who could not stay on the hill. Paxton wasn't the only one whose rehab was slowed Thursday. Wander Franco was unable to play as he continues to deal with pain in his wrist. His next game will depend on when he's able to manage the pain. As a fantasy manager, young players with wrist injuries aren't my favorite, and I'm going to be low on Franco the rest of the year or until he really shows the issues behind him. His teammate, Manuel Margot, did play a rehab game Thursday and may be ready for activation this weekend, maybe as soon as today. Another pitcher not coming back soon is Tarek Skubal. He had successful flexor tendon surgery, which is great news, but he will be out for a good chunk of the 2023 season. As we learn more about his timeline, it'll be interesting to see if he has a good stash come draft time. Charlie Blackman left the Rockies game early on Thursday after tweaking his hamstring. After the game, Bud Black said that he expects Blackman to be okay, but it sounds like he's out at least today, maybe tomorrow, but shouldn't need an IL stint. On the other hand, Black sounded less optimistic about Antonio Senzatella. Senzatella went down trying to cover first base and grabbed his knee in obvious pain. Black called it a sprain, said he's going for an MRI. He also used the phrase, fingers crossed, not what you want to hear. Some starting pitchers we are expecting back this week. Dustin May should be starting tomorrow, and Eduardo Rodriguez should be back on Sunday. Both will be much welcome to their team's rotations, though those teams are in very different places. And finally, the big activation today. We are expecting Mike Trout back in the lineup for the Angels. Trout is still arguably the best in the game when he's healthy, which has been unfortunately uncommon recently. Very glad to see him coming back. On to the action Thursday. Lars Knutbar not only has a great name, but he also went 2-for-3 with a couple walks, three runs, two RBIs, and his sixth home run of the year on Thursday. He did that from the leadoff spot. He's been in that spot three of the last six games, basically leading off first righties and hitting ninth versus lefties over the last week. Those are his first three games in the leadoff spot this year, and given his production since he was recalled on June 20th, he should stick. Coming into play Thursday, he was hitting .265 with a .376 OBP, Four home runs and two stolen bases in 125 plate appearances since that promotion. That is some pretty solid rates, especially in OBP leagues, with about a 2010 home run stolen base pace. He's a guy who should be rostered all over. Even when Juan Yepes comes back, it seems likely Newbar has carved out a role and a large one at that. Alex Bregman stole his first base of the year, just his second since 2019. That's not even the headline, though. He was four for six, two home runs, two doubles, four runs, six RBI. Bregman is on his best stretch of hitting since he was an MVP candidate a few years back, and I am targeting him aggressively for trades in leagues where I need third base. He wasn't alone for the Astros, who put up 21 on the White Sox Thursday. Chaz McCormick homered and drove in five. Trey Mancini homered. Yuli Gurriel had three hits, three runs. Kyle Tucker had four hits, two runs, and three RBIs. Just a huge effort across the board. Bregman also wasn't the only one recapturing his glory days with a two-homer day. Andrew McCutcheon, two for four with a couple of home runs, three runs, three RBIs. Cutch has been steadily above average all season. While it's not huge fantasy value, it is good to keep in mind if you need plate appearances in the outfield. Wilson Contreras is in the midst of his glory days, and he too joined the double bomb party, going two for four with a pair of solo shots. Contreras had been a little cold since the trade deadline, but turned it on Thursday. He is a clear top five, maybe even top three fantasy catcher for me rest the season. And we're not done yet. Brian Reynolds, three for four with a couple home runs runs, three runs, four RBIs. He is heating up lately and will win some playoff matches if this continues. Among players who did not hit two home runs, Stone Garrett singled and doubled and stole his first base in his second career game. He's now four for nine with three doubles in his brief MLB career. Garrett had 28 home runs and 15 steals in AAA with a 275 average, so while he's not a particularly highly regarded prospect, he was producing and that has continued in MLB so far. George Springer still only DHing, not yet playing every day, but he looked healthy Thursday going 5-for-5 five five with a double, two runs, and an RBI. I expect some days off. He may miss some more time, but Springer should be back to producing as he usually does when he's in the lineup down the stretch. Looking at other home runs around the game, Albert Pujols, number 11, he's up to 690 in his career. Mark Mathias hit his second. Nathaniel Lowe hit his 17th. Yon mancada had his 7th. Hunter Renfro, number 21. Rafael Ortega hit his sixth. Vlad Guerrero Jr. hit his 26th. Yandy Diaz elevated the ball for his seventh. Please do that more often, Yandy. Christian Betancourt hit his sixth. Michael Massey got the first of his career. Marcena hit his eighth. Manny Machado is 22nd. And Ildemaro Vargas hit his second. Not a ton of stolen bases, but Dylan Carlson nabbed number five. Number 18 for Adelis Garcia. Mike Brousseau took his second, Nelson Velasquez stole his third, Devin Marrero his first, and Lane Thomas took his fourth. On the mound on Thursday, was Adam Wainwright on his game, or did he just get the Rockies in St. Louis? Maybe both. Seven innings of shutout ball, seven strikeouts, three hits, no walks. Gave up a decent amount of hard contact, had only eight whiffs, so not all great, but he's looking better and better lately. The massive Houston offensive output came at the expense of Lucas Giolito, who gave up seven runs on eight hits and a walk, striking out five over three. Giolito now has an ERA of 5.34 on the year, and while his underlying numbers are better than that, he is not the ace he once was, and there's little reason to think he will be. He's at Baltimore next and wants a better matchup. Do you really trust him? Andrew Haney had given up just one home run all season coming into Thursday, then gave up three in four and two-thirds innings. He finished with those four and two-thirds innings, five runs allowed, but only three of them earned, had five hits, one walk, struck out 10. His velocity and spin were up. He had 19 whiffs to drive those 10 strikeouts, and he had a 36% CSW. If there are managers who have been worried about when the other shoe will drop with Haney and are looking for a reason to trade him, this line might push them to make a move, and I would buy. I really like what he did here, despite the result. Corbin Burns got a win, but not his best start, lasting just five and two-thirds, giving up three runs and six hits. He walked two and struck out six. No cause for concern, though. That's just what happens when you face the Dodgers. A little bit of a surprise pitcher's duel in Baltimore. Spencer Watkins gave up one run over five and two-thirds. While well, Adrian Sampson shut out the Orioles over five and two thirds as well. Neither really impressed me, though. Neither is on my radar moving forward. This was just two bad offenses and a good pitcher's park. Oh man, Zach Allen, seven and a third shutout, allowing four hits, no walks, 12 strikeouts, 17 whiffs, and a 39% CSW. I just love what Zach Allen does. I've been down on JT Brubaker, but he was excellent on Thursday, shutting out Boston over seven with seven strikeouts, allowing just two hits. He had a 38% CSW. This wasn't just a fluke. He pitched really well. I just don't know that you can trust him to do it consistently, and I don't want to mess around with him versus Atlanta next. Jose Barrios is an enigma. I thought he had righted the ship a couple weeks back, and then, coming off a pair of awful starts, he stymies the Yankees. Allowing just two runs, only one of them earned on six hits, and a walk over six and two-thirds with nine strikeouts. His velocity was up half a tick, he had 14 whiffs, he had a 40% CSW. He looked great, legitimately great, but is he going to do this again? Can he continue this? And it's not even matchups with him, as he's had good recent starts against the Yankees and Phillies while getting beat up by Milwaukee, Minnesota, and Cleveland. I want no part of this. Frankie Montas is one of my favorite pitchers when he is on, but he is not on right now. Six runs on eight hits and a walk over six innings against Toronto, striking out only two. And yeah, it's Toronto and Toronto is Toronto, but we haven't seen good Montas since July 21st and we haven't seen great Montas since, what, June? He gets the Mets next and ugh, I'm not excited and I'll probably end up sitting him again. You Darvish threw a gem against the remnants of the Nationals, going eight and a third, allowing a run on five hits and six strikeouts without a walk. But he left with a couple men on base and gave way to Josh Hader, who was awful. Hader hit Luke Voigt to load the bases, gave up a four-pitch walk to Nelson Cruz to walk in a run, gave up a sack fly to Kiebert Ruiz to drive in another run, ended up with an infield single before finally getting out of it. That puts two more earned runs on Darvish, who ends the game with three runs allowed instead of the one. Well, Hater's line ends up not looking that bad, really. Two thirds of an inning, a hit, and a walk with no runs. Darvish got the quality start, but left with the game tied because the Padres couldn't score. I had stacked my Padres against Anibal Sanchez, but he went five innings, allowing a run on one hit. That was the Machado home run, with four strikeouts and two walks. Juan Soto and Josh Bell were 0 for seven with a walk between them. Maybe just trying to be nice to their old team. And we'll end with the man himself, Jacob DeGrom, who finally looked human, somewhat human on Thursday. He gave up three runs on five hits over six and two thirds. Of course, no home runs. He struck out nine, didn't walk anyone. So i saying only kind of human, maybe sort of like a demigod in this one. As for the bullpens, after Matt Bush had gotten the last two saves from Milwaukee, Devin Williams, trying to grab firm control of the closer's role, he struck out the Dodgers in order for his eighth save. Taylor Rogers had the seventh, Matt Bush the eighth, both were good, but that does give a pretty clear sense that Bush is next in line. Brandon Hughes got his first career save for the Cubs in Baltimore. Hughes has been brilliant the last six weeks or so, and the Cubs' ninth inning doesn't have a clear owner, so he's worth a look. Jordan Romano got some work in a 9-2 to game, shutting down the Yanks to end it. Yusei Kikuchi, who's new to the Jays' pen, also pitched in this one. He got the eighth allowed a hit and a walk while striking out two and holding the Yankees scoreless. The Atlanta bullpen teed up perfectly for their match with the Mets. A.J. Minter got a couple outs via strikeout, was replaced by Rizal Iglesias, who got an out, who gave way to Kenley Jansen, who gave up a hit, got a K, and locked down his 28th save. Finally, the night ended with Kyle Finnegan getting an ugly save. Started with a K, then walked a couple before a game-ending 4-6-3 double play gave the Nats a 3-1 win, and Kyle Finnegan his sixth save. Let's take a quick break, and we come back, we'll get into today's action. Welcome back. First, let's take a look at the weather with our friend Mark Paquette.
1: Thank you very much. Well, after a quiet Thursday, we have a little bit of a busier Friday. We're going to see some rain around the Rangers at the Twins, and this is a kind of a uh, preview of fall. It's like a fall-like system. Uh, It's going to be cool, and there will be some rain falling at times. It doesn't look overly heavy, so I expect them to be able to play this game, but at least we have something to watch in terms of the radar and delays and low chance of a postponement. Anyways, I'll talk to you tomorrow, and thank you very
2: much. Thanks, Mark. If you're looking for someone to stream today, Cutter Crawford's been solid, and pitching at Baltimore doesn't hurt. As for where I am starting my hitters, I know Chris Bassett's been good, but I think he'll likely give up a home run, maybe even two, against the Phillies in Philadelphia. And with Mike Trout coming back, I think the Angels are going to get going against Matt Manning. What I'll be watching on Friday is... Jesus Lazardo gets a real challenge with the Dodgers. I'm very curious how he handles that. Blake Snell has an opportunity to throw a beauty facing the Nats. And Lance McCullers making his second start. This against a solid Atlanta team will be very interesting to see how he handles that. Before you watch any of that, go to Pitcher List to read the SP Roundup batter's box and reliever ranks. Get more details on what happened on Thursday and what's coming up on Friday. Then sit down, watch baseball, enjoy your night, and I'll be back with you tomorrow.